But we have just launched into a series that um, I'm calling Boots on the Ground. Uh, totally stole that from an Impact Leadership Training Day uh, because I heard it on a... I heard it on one of our calls, uh, G-Day said something about being boots on the ground, and I'm like, just beware, I'm going to steal that, we're going to make a series about it, don't know when, don't know how we're going to do it, because I love it so much, so uh, this series is called Boots on the Ground, so, and, and here's why, here's what we're going to be exploring, that the church is the body of Christ, um, it's us, the church is us doing the work of our commander-in-chief, hence the army language. Uh, we're doing his work in the world around us every day with lives surrendered to him. That's the idea here. So you know that scripture calls us, the church, the body of Christ, many, many times. This is a, uh, a very common metaphor in scripture. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 6 and 10 and 12, uh, Ephesians 1, 2, 4, and 5, Colossians 1, 2, and 3, you can find it all there. And so it stands to reason that we need to understand what it means to be the body of Christ and to the best of our knowledge so that we can live it out every day as we're called to do. And so next week we're going to talk about the way that Paul describes us as parts of the body. On September 19th, we're going to talk about how those parts function together. Uh, we're going to call uh, that message function. And uh, on September the 26th, we're going to learn what it means to be connected to the head. And we're going to call that one fusion because it's a weird title, but I had to use all the Fs because I was already into it, guys, okay? I was already into it. So form, function, and fusion is our next three weeks and understanding what it means that we are Jesus' boots on the ground. Isn't that an incredible calling? I know, I'm excited, like usual. I know, that's normal. That's normative around here, but that's okay. But today, before we get into form, function, and fusion, uh, we need to understand uh, really what is the body of Christ. Go right back to the beginning. So I've invited Pastor Dell to start our series this week by taking us to the foundation, the foundation of, of what the body of Christ is, who the body of Christ is. Uh, what does it mean that Christ's body was broken for us? Who is it? Who is this God who would come for us in a physical form? And then how does communion fit into that? And then we're going to partake in it together. So we're going to start here first. We're going to set this foundation together this morning. And then the next few weeks, we're going to apply form, function, and fusion to this truth. We're going to gather around the Lord's Supper and as, as an application of that this morning. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Delta to come and share this first message in our new series. What a beautiful time this is. So thrilled to be a part of the Freedom Church family. Last Sunday was so great to be part of the water baptismal service and to just to see what God is doing, bringing new life continually into his church. And we're just excited about what God has in store. But you know, it's no secret, is it? We live in a time of change and at the same time, a time of paralyzing fear. There's so much fear in our world today. I've seen a lot of change in my lifetime. I've lived a long time now. Uh, it's incredible to see how much our kids have grown over the last year and a half. I mean, when you look at our own Freedom Church family, let alone my own grandkids and how much they've grown, it's amazing to see that. You look around the change as well, the negative impacts of the countless COVID measures we have to keep up with all the time, all the things that we're doing. People are getting tired and getting worn out, even the labor shortage. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the 1970s uh, 
pop song called Signs. Anybody remember that song, Signs? Uh, written by, a, uh, performed by a Canadian band and Signs. It was kind of like a protest uh, against rules and regulations. Do you remember that one? Uh, Joe Renner put out a, something on Facebook recently. Arlene was telling me about it and it was fine. And, and it was this. In light of the labor shortage in Canada today, all those who have our long-haired, freaky people can now apply. <laughs> oh, I like that one. I've thought about that a lot. They can now apply. For those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, just smile and, and, and go on. It was funny uh, for us who are of this age. The intense fear driving decisions fueled by the media. It's, it's amazing to me. Every day, constant, 24-7. A federal election that will affect the future for generations. I, I pray that people are taking this seriously about what we're deciding. It's an unstable world that's constantly changing. But friends, let me remind you today, if you don't already know, there is someone you can depend on completely who never changes. Your life is secure every single moment when you live for him. I love Hebrews 13 and 8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say amen? Jesus gave the words... Of, to life, to living a full and secure life in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's worth your read and study. He said this at the end of that sermon. He said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You need to build your life on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. He is the solid foundation. We've been singing about that a lot this morning. We're starting a new series today about a foundation for our lives. And there is no better place to put your attention and focus than on Jesus Christ, our foundation. This morning... We want to look at the first part, the foundation involving communion and the body of Christ. It's something that you should never, ever take for granted. We're going to just do a short overview of the body of Christ and the integral part that communion plays in keeping us centered on Christ and our relationship to Him, which is the secret to successful living. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it gives us the most comprehensive teaching about communion. And it contains a familiar, this familiar passage that is read at every one of our communion services. It's worth your read and reread. We have it here for you. It's in the app if you want to go to it. Follow along with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. The, this is Paul writing the letter. He said, For I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. He's talking to believers. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. You should know that passage of Scripture inside and out. We call this communion here generally, but it's also referred to as the Lord's table. It's called also the Lord's Supper, and some call it the Eucharist. It's a very important time of coming together as believers in Jesus Christ. You need to know that communion, taking communion, will not save you. If you're not already a Christian before you take it, you're not, it's not going to make you a Christian. It is practiced by those who are already followers of Christ, and it is a foundational part of your spiritual disciplines. You should have spiritual disciplines in your life daily. And this is part of what you need to do as your foundation for spiritual life and growth. Because communion tells a timeless story that needs to be retold repeatedly. And that's why taking communion must be a regular habit for you. And I wanted to share four things very quickly with you today about communion. I hope that you'll remember this. First of all, communion is a time for proclaiming the gospel. We just read in 11 and 26 of 1 Corinthians, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now remember that the Lord's Supper, communion, was instituted by him as a means for us to worship him. And when we come together like this and when we participate around the table, we are preachers of the gospel just by doing this. We are preaching the gospel. The Lord's death here, this phrase that you see in this scripture, refers to the cross and its eternal accomplishments and implications for every person. The cross is the dividing line of history. It is the point in time when God came in flesh and became a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. And in the cross, Paul says, I preach the cross. I preach the death of Christ because that is where our provision has been made. The Lord's death and its eternal accomplishments and the implications for every person are what it means 
to proclaim the Lord's death. We make a public announcement about it. And we're calling people to pay attention to this. Pay attention. And we present a report of what Christ has done sacrificially for humankind every time we participate. The very act of eating the bread and drinking the cup is a public way of preaching the substitutionary death of Jesus. For unbelievers, those who have not yet committed their lives to Christ will hear and see the gospel presented to them and they will have this invitation to come into relationship with Christ. And believers who are part of this gathering will see this as an excellent opportunity to affirm their faith in Christ and say, yes, Jesus, I believe. Yes, Jesus, I believe. That's why Freedom Church is committed to gathering in this fashion once each month to share around the Lord's table. And we will continue to do this until He comes. The Lord is coming back. He's going to establish His eternal kingdom. We see the signs of the times all around us. We have for a long time. And when Jesus says, okay, it is time, and when the green light is turned on and He comes back, we won't be celebrating communion anymore because its purpose will have been fulfilled. We do this until He comes. But we as believers, when Jesus comes, will join with Him and celebrate with Him at the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, who is Jesus, as described in the book of Revelation. We won't be doing this anymore, but we'll have a much greater time forever in the presence of God. So each time that you participate in communion, keep in mind that you are proclaiming the gospel as an invitation to unbelievers, any that are in our midst. And you are using this as an act of worship to Christ as his follower. That's the first thing you're doing. Second thing is communion is a time for showing respect. We must never lose sight of that. If you read 1 Corinthians 11, 17, verses 17 to 34, you'll get some background for the context that the Apostle Paul is using for his instruction about communion. The, the Corinthian church, we find, had forgotten the purpose of the Lord's table. And so Paul was writing in this letter correction for their erroneous ways. In fact, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is teaching and correcting things that the Corinthian believers had forgotten and gotten off track with. Spiritual, moral, and ethical failings. It's interesting when Paul addressed their gathering around for the Lord's table, he said, Your gatherings do more harm than good. Imagine. He said, when you're coming together like this, it's doing more harm than good. It may be hard for us to imagine here this morning, but apparently worship services in the Corinthian church at times resembled drunken brawls where attenders got intoxicated with wine instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were acting silly, as you do when you're intoxicated with alcohol. And by these actions, church members were showing a lack of respect to Christ and His church body and acted in a disorderly and disruptive manner. Let me let you in on something that you will lose 
respect for God over time when you minimize his holiness and when you forget about your unholiness. When you forget that, you will lose respect for God. Never, never forget. Church without a healthy fear of the Lord will just lose its way and become just another social club that is Christian in name only. Well, Paul points out to the Corinthians, when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. You're acting ungodly. If you go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul had already denounced them for this in verses 10 to 17, that the church had been forming fan clubs of those they considered to be the head of their group, the real special one. Some of them were fans of Paul himself. Some others thought Apollos, he was the star. Some thought that Cephas or Peter was the one that we should be following, while there were those who stayed following Christ. The result was that in that church body, there was a divisive spirit as the different factions competed against the other for control. This is what happens when you lose respect for the holiness of God. And you forget about your own unholiness. Sadly, many of the people in the Corinthian church were self-deceived to the point they actually prided themselves for causing contention among the members. It's hard for us to believe. In fact, in verse 19, chapter 11, Paul sarcastically rebukes the dividers saying, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Tongue-in-cheek, he's saying to them, who do you guys think you are? You think that by stirring up trouble, you're something else. You're special. He said, the problem is you're using the wrong measuring stick to gauge your spiritual maturity. That's immaturity. That's not maturity. It's unity, not division, that pleases God. That's how you respect God, when you love God and love one another. And then there were those among them who were degrading the Lord's table with their party spirit and disrespect for those who were less fortunate of than they were materially. And that's why Paul says to him in verse 22, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Oh, may we never get to that point ever where we look down on those who are less fortunate than we are. They're all God's children. Everyone who gathers together is a part of the body of Christ as a follower of Jesus. Communion, therefore, is a time of respect for God because he is holy and a respect for God's people because they're God's people. It's that simple. Never lose respect. When we come around the communion table, We not only proclaim the gospel, but we show respect. And the third thing is, communion is a time for personal soul-searching. We read again in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, 
eat and drink judgment on themselves. So we are to approach the Lord's table in a worthy manner, in a way that is acceptable to God. So we are proclaimers of the gospel and examples of respect for God, and we are to come as those who have prepared ourselves as being worthy. Now, to be worthy is not the same as being perfect. There's not a perfect person in this place today. None of us will ever be perfect, can't be perfect. There was only one perfect human being ever, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's not saying you have to be perfect to participate. It says you have to be worthy, spiritually clean through the ongoing washing away of sins you and I have committed and their effects upon us. You become worthy by confessing your sins to God. So what we do every service, we take time. We ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Anything that's displeasing to God, anything that's in us that shouldn't be there. And you know what? If you ask the Holy Spirit to do that, He will. He will bring to your mind attitudes and conduct that contravene Christ's commands that need to be addressed. It is then your responsibility to take ownership. You take ownership of that. You don't pass the buck. You don't try to make excuses. You say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing me that. And you confess it to God. I think that it would be very unusual for any of us to not have something in our lives to straighten out. <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, this week, today already, but when we ask the Holy Spirit to show us, He's not there to punish us. He's there to help us, to teach us, to show us, to correct us, to put us on the right path. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it good to feel pure and clean? Forgiven. So we show respect for Christ in His body. That's what Paul says about the church. Here's what he said in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Those are words that should set you back. Because this instruction that we're receiving in 1 Corinthians 11 talks about recognizing the body of Christ. Participating in a worthy manner. So what is the body of Christ? It's important for us to know that. Because here's what he says in verses uh, 29 and 30 of uh, 1 Corinthians 11. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is my, why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, have died. Your attitude towards Christ and his church is to be one of respect as you approach the table of the Lord, let alone how you operate day after day. You're required to show respect to Christ by honoring His actual body. You 
recognize, you believe, you know him, Christ himself, who he is, irreplaceable. But you also recognize his physical body here on earth, which today is made up of every believer in Christ around the globe. You are the body of Christ. That's why you cannot bring bitterness and jealousy and strife, disunity, unforgiveness, pettiness, disloyalty with you as you break bread. You can't, you're not, you can't do that. Because to do that is to disrespect the body of Christ. These attitudes are sinful and negatively impact the spiritual and physical well-being of those who display them, let alone harming the dynamics of the church family itself. But these words of encouragement, Paul says in verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. This is not a time for searching the souls of others. Oh, you know, if sister so-and-so would just behave, or a brother so-and-so would just get his act together, or if, 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 and then we get our eyes off of ourselves. This is not what Paul is saying. This is self-examination. And if we do that, then we'll not come under the judgment of God. Do not get caught up in analyzing others and not examining yourself. Use communion as a regular time of personal soul-searching regarding sin in your life and your respect for the body of Christ. And the last thing, the fourth thing, is that communion is a time to remember Christ's sacrifice for you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. How's your memory? You got a good memory? Do you remember what your life was like before Christ saved you? Do you remember how you were transformed because of God's gift of grace to your life? Can you remember? Do you remember what that was like before you came in to the light of Christ? Perhaps you committed your life to Jesus at a young age like I did. Do you know how blessed you are to have lived your life to this date on that foundation? <laughs> That's a blessing. That's not a burden to have that as your legacy for life passed down to you. Could you imagine how your life would have been different without Jesus? How's your memory? How's your memory about how Jesus has saved you? See, communion is designed to jog your memory, to remind you of the ultimate sacrifice Jesus made on your behalf. The bread and the grape juice tell the story of Christ taking your place as a substitute to pay the full debt of your sins and for you to be reconciled to a holy God. That's what Jesus did for you. And so these elements that we have, and I think we need to treat them seriously, the elements of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we need to treat them seriously and prepare ourselves even. These elements portray the feeding of your spiritual being with Christ himself, his body, his blood. In John 6 and 35, we see that Jesus had previously told his disciples before his death that he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. 
And that eating that bread, eating Christ by believing in him would bring them eternal life. That's what he said. That was a great separation time for a lot of the people who had been following Jesus to that point. Chapter 6 of of John is an eye-opener for the people that get in caught up as the crowds and they don't really make the commitment. And he said, unless you eat my, my body and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. And they just were stunned by that. And they went back and it said in, in chapter 6 and verse 66, 666 of John, at that point, many turned away and no longer followed him. He said, you can't have a part of, a part of me unless you do this. Of course, Jesus wasn't advocating cannibalism, the eating of a physical body, because that's an abomination to God. But he was talking about taking Jesus at his word and believing everything that he said and entrusting your life into his care. So putting your faith in Christ is nourishing your spirit. That's what it means to eat the bread. Jesus' physical body was broken and put to death on the cross for our sins. And we take the bread that has been broken and it reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ for us. We eat the bread because Jesus commanded us to do it here. He said, do this. That's what he's saying. This is a command of Christ. This isn't uh, some optional thing. He said, do this, both times, do this. One of the commands, the 48 commands of Christ in the New Testament that you'll read. Do this in remembrance of me. We eat the bread because Jesus commanded us. Not, not that to satisfy any physical hunger as though a, you know, a wafer would do that. But remember what the Corinthians got, got into. They got carried away. They were... They were pigging out. They're acting like animals. They're in a drunken brawl. Jesus said, that's not the purpose. You have homes if you want to go. If if you're hungry, go eat at home. Go eat at home. And the second is the cup of fruit juice. We have fruit juice, grape juice, fruit of the vine, powerful reminder of the price Jesus paid for us. Jesus said, we read the, his words in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For whenever you drink it, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. A covenant is essentially a sealed agreement between parties by which both parties make promises that they're going to keep with one another. And there have been essentially two major covenants between God and his people. The first covenant, the Old Testament law, where God promised in that to give temporary relief to people for their sins if they offered blood sacrifices in the prescribed manner. And temporary forgiveness was given to the people at once a year, the Day of Atonement, because the sacrifices had been offered in a worthy manner, but it was only temporary. It had to be done year after year after year after year. That was the first covenant. But the second covenant is superior to the first. 
And that's because of what it accomplished for anyone who enters into it with God. The second covenant was accomplished by Jesus himself, and animal sacrifices are no longer required under this new covenant that Christ has made with his people because he was the perfect sacrifice, and he covered people's sins once and for all. This is the new covenant sealed in the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is his commitment to keep all the promises that he has made in it. And so when you drink the cup, you are once again reminded of the privileged position you are in as a child of God and an heir with Christ. You remember that Christ's blood continues to cleanse you from all sins and give you access into God's holy and awesome presence moment after moment after moment. Covered with the precious blood of Christ. And so that's the fourth thing. Remember, when you participate, remember Christ's sacrifice for you. Friends, Jesus Christ is your solid foundation for life. This is the foundation. Everything flows out of this. Jesus Christ, your faith in Christ. By putting your trust in him, you are secure. You have nothing to fear. Absolutely. Though you will be incited to fear, though you will be programmed to fear, you do not have to fear because Christ has you covered. Though the world around you trembles and crumbles, Jesus will never Keep building your faith in Christ by getting to know him more each day. Learn and obey his commands, and you will have complete joy in him. And instead of letting the bad news being spewed out 24-7, instead of letting that get you down, allow the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, build you up. As we prepare to gather around the Lord's table this morning, we do so as the expression of Christ's body. Imagine that, how significant that is. You are a member of the body of Christ. Always take seriously the privilege you have to worship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord on this special occasion. We proclaim the gospel of Christ together. We show respect for Christ and his church together. We search our hearts and prepare ourselves to be worthy together, and we remember the sacrifice of Christ by eating the bread and drinking the cup as an act of unity together. And we will keep celebrating communion until the day Jesus returns. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pastor Tracy's going to come and lead us in this time of communion. We'll have an opportunity to pray, to search our hearts. But even right now, begin. Ask the Holy Spirit to just prepare you and to make you ready for what he has for your life.